Hello, and welcome to FADGAB. This is the podcast for the International Journal of Feminist Approaches to Bioethics, brought to you by FAB Network. My name is Catherine McKay, and today I'm joined by Mercer Gary from Penn State University to discuss her paper, Care Robots, Crises of Capitalism, and the Limits of Human Caring, which is out now in the latest volume of IJFAB, volume 14, number one. So Mercer, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. Oh, thanks for being here. This is great. So um, on the topic of care robots, crises of capitalism, I wonder if you could give us uh, a summary of your paper. Sure, absolutely. So the paper situates social robots that are uh, increasingly used as companions in aged care settings within the dire straits of the current care sector, uh, but tries to do so without characterizing these artifacts or other kind of non-typical forms of care as necessarily pernicious and distorting. Uh, So ultimately, this paper is an attempt to capture the duality of contemporary care work as both deeply implicated within systems of domination and yet not fully determined by it. Uh, So I try to show that reckoning with this kind of ambivalence is central to understanding and studying care. Have care robots been something that you've been interested in for a little while? For a while now, yeah. Uh, I I started uh, thinking about them at a, a, a conference where I was introduced to the phenomenon itself and uh, did a lot more digging. And it was through uh, studying some more of Nancy Fraser's work that I found this kind of framing for the issue. But yeah, they've been on my mind a fair amount. Yeah. I've noticed them more and more in the kind of pop culture discussions. So it was really interesting to read an academic breakdown. Yeah. I, I So I started a uh, uh, reading and researching uh, on care robots in 2018, and it's pretty amazing the increase in their representation in, in pop culture even since then. Uh, so yeah, a lot of kind of touchstones and uh, more people who have some kind of familiarity uh, with, even direct familiarity with these the this kind of technology. Yeah, wow, that's moving pretty fast. So did you have a particular motivation behind writing this paper? Yeah, so uh, there has been a fair amount of work that uh, engages care ethics in relation to care robots within bioethics and the ethics of technology. And that's always important to me as someone who I think sees uh, uh, feminist ethics and care ethics kind of uh, discarded or or, or put to the side in these discussions. Um, And so I think especially of Shannon Valor and Amy Van Winsberg here who've done some, some great work Uh, But I really wanted to kind of dig in more into what this means for the kind of conceptual structure of care ethics and and, uh, what kinds of challenges these robots pose to our understandings of care um, that are kind of suggested by some critiques of them, but not uh, fully uh, uh, developed or or considered. I also wanted to kind of uh, continue to think about systemic analyses in bioethics uh, and uh, really positioning this uh, individual phenomenon within a larger context of uh, sociopolitical conditions that are so uh, significant in its emergence. Yes, agreed. So let's get into that. So what are some of the 
main points of your argument, would you say, if you can just take us through it? Sure. So I think the first kind of part of the paper really tries to uh, treat care robots as part of a larger crisis rather than a uniquely disturbing feature of the care landscape. So seeing a kind of broader uh, moves towards mechanization of healthcare and increasing demands on, on human care workers as, as all of a piece uh, of, a, uh, of a system that is whose needs are outstripping its ability or willingness to provide uh, for those in need. Um, and so there I'm trying to say that uh, criticisms of care robots that are already existing can really better be levied against uh, the current organization of social reproduction itself. And so we need to kind of go for the bigger problem rather than the, the manifestation of it. Uh, next, my, uh, my, my paper kind of takes up this, uh, this question of the normative uh, status of care. So I, I use Nancy Fraser and Rocio Zambrano's uh, work on normative ambivalence, which uh, helps me uh, characterize how care as a descriptive concept can be used for contradictory purposes. So can just as easily be used uh, in support of uh, patriarchal and racist domination as in uh, feminist critiques of those very systems. So uh, kind of figuring out how uh, care is justified in its, uh, in its use for critical projects becomes really significant. And that kind of opens up a larger conversation about how we determine what counts as, uh, as liberatory uh, care or care that's adequate to feminist purposes. So the final part of the paper uh, tries to complicate some appeals that are fairly common uh, that claim that robots are kind of distorting or uh, damaging this uniquely human value of care. Uh, and that kind of uh, notion of care as uniquely human has been contested in some parts more recently um, with appeals to multi-species and ecological care. Um, but it also really gets to uh, this, this problem of the, the concept of the human that has been so historically exclusionary and used to uh, justify uh, domination, colonization, and enslavement. And so uh, trying to think beyond how the, the human in, in that exclusionary sense really continues to appear within care ethics, I try to use robots as kind of a, a leverage point towards uh, uh, thinking, thinking beyond that usage. Yeah, there's so many interesting things in there. I think perhaps this is partly influenced by the reading that I've been doing lately, which has been quite broad. And I was just reading a paper by Raymond Williams called Culture is Ordinary. Um, but I read your paper with this real lens of critiquing capitalism. <laughs> and I thought that your paper... The way that it, um, I mean, one of the things that I really liked about your paper was how it situates care robots, as you said, not as uniquely disturbing, which I think is actually a great place to start with it, because um, that seems to be where the the lay population, like I'm coming to this just from mostly reading popular newsprint and stuff like that, um, tends to be either this is so cute in the case of Paro the seal, or this is really weird. 
um, in the case of other sorts of robots that we might see that are perhaps more like lifelike, more human, um, that look kind of uncanny. So it was interesting to to start, okay, we're not talking about robots as a uniquely disturbing thing, actually. We're thinking about them as a complex and non-ideal solution to a complex and non-ideal state. And um, getting into it that way was, I thought, really, really interesting. Thanks. Yeah, I think um, exactly this question of why they're non-ideal to mm. is really important. Um, are they non-ideal because robot caring, um, no matter what sort of technology is developed, whatever level of artificial intelligence they come to have at some point in the future that they, they certainly don't currently have, uh, whether whether it is something about uh, about robot caring that is itself inadequate or whether uh, it is a problem of uh, of our our current uh, setup of of the care sector that is more at issue, and I tend I tend to think the latter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were there any particular challenges that you faced when you were doing this research or writing this paper? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so one challenge I think was uh, kind of clarifying my primary audience uh, because I'm kind of, I'm drawing from um, some different feminist traditions. I wanted to make sure that I was doing justice to, to those bodies of work while also, uh, you know, really pitching this to, uh, to a, a bioethic uh, audience and a care ethics audience. So uh, having a number of readers uh, on that was really helpful on that front. Um, another challenge I'd say is, uh, yeah, is, is exactly dealing with this question of the romanticization of this technology and, um, what uh, what care robots are as opposed to what they're thought to be versus what they might conceivably be in the future. Uh, and so on that front, I really tried to focus more on how people were relating to these uh, objects and uh, what the kinds of attachments that they were describing and, and feelings that they were um, recounting uh, might tell us about uh, the possibilities of connection rather than trying to get into, uh, you know, uh, any, any question of uh, the level of sophistication of artificial intelligence and whether that can really constitute a relationship in a, in a different sense. So I, I'm focused on the felt, the felt relationship rather than, uh, rather than any kind of uh, cognitive uh, standard. Yeah. And there was a moment in the paper where you comment on how it appears that human care is actually can be extended really easily outside of ourselves and to all kinds of other things outside of ourselves. Yes. I, I mean, I, I anecdotally, I, I, I do think that's true. I think of, um, you know, it's easily apparent in uh, our relationships with uh, domesticated animals, but um, you know, there's been um much further work, important recent book by Maria Puig de la Bella Casa on uh, care extending to the ecological realm and um, uh, talking about, about soil, uh, especially and thinking, thinking with care in, in those contexts. I do think that, uh, that we uh, can, can feel ties of, of care uh, in these different directions. Uh, the question is, then what is relevant to uh, to care ethics and to care as a critical analytic um, in uh, ethical and uh, political life. 
And there are places where I think that that can be quite useful and probably some that are less so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think that um, our care robots, care robots here to stay? Um, It seems that they are. I think especially once we kind of nuance the discussion of, of what what a robot is, and we're looking at um, this whole range of devices, um, that then then it certainly seems like care robots are are uh, infiltrating all aspects of our technology use, and, and maybe just kind of becoming um, a more uh, a more de facto part of um, of everyday life, but even with the more specific case of kind of companion robot animals, uh, I think of the, uh, there have been some, some more uh, affordable and easily accessible devices of that sort. My, my grandmother actually uh, just recently got a, uh, a robotic cat that, uh, that is now under a hundred dollars and is um, easily purchased online. Wow. And so uh, she she did that without without asking me about uh, about the cat and or about talking about this article, of course. <laughs> but uh, I think that is a huge testament to uh, the accessibility and increasing use of of this this kind of technology. Yes, and what it what it makes me think about in your article prompted me to think about why we call them care robots in the first place. It's kind of like they are, they are doing something or some of them are, are doing something. There was, there were some that you mentioned that are clearly more sort of functional. They help nurses move patients or something like that. The care of the cat or Pyro the seal is more like the care we extend to them. And then the emotional feedback, perhaps I'm not sure. You know, I I don't know that there are, are, uh, kind of hard limits on on what kinds of technology some people could develop that kind of effective relation to, but uh, but certainly within the case of uh, of these uh, companion robots, there um, you know the, the kind of nature of of that connection is is interesting to explore, but it but it, it definitely uh, it seems to be present in in a fair. Um, fair portion of uh, the populations using it that have been studied mm-hmm. um, with people, you know, especially in institutional settings where uh, these are often very expensive technologies. And uh, so, so peril, for instance, might, um, there might be one or two at a given institutional uh, living situation. And so uh, no one person has sole custody of peril, but uh, is uh, kind of visited by, by the robot on uh, a number of times a week. And um, particular people will have their own names for, uh, for the robot and will continue conversations that they had recently left off uh, with the robot. And, and, and there is a sense of continuity and a sense of relationship that kind of develops. Um, and some of that is certainly uh, kind of aided by the level of sophistication that the robot does have. So it, it can learn some words uh, and uh, and responds differently to a to a harsh rather than a gentle touch. Mm. Uh, so there there is some kind of, of feeling of uh, of two way engagement there. But even if we're uh, solely looking at uh, at the the human um, 
side of attachment, uh, it does seem that with very little uh, in terms of uh, sophisticated technology, uh, humans can still develop uh, what, it, what, what can be felt as a significant attachment. Mm, fascinating. So I guess we're sort of coming towards the end of our time chatting about this. I feel like we could keep talking. It's so interesting to me. Um, but I wonder, Mercer, if there's a sort of primary takeaway message that you'd like people to glean from the paper that you hope they'll keep with them. Sure. So so the, the ultimate takeaway of the article for me is that neither technophobia nor technophilia really make sense for care ethics uh, and that we need to be looking at the uh, structural conditions that are shaping the provision of care uh, and that those, uh, those conditions are the, are the rightful target of our critiques and, and that on, uh, on an individual level, there may be real possibility for engagement and uh, effective ties between humans and all sorts of kinds of others. Uh, and that uh, the, the power of care as a, as a critical resource is something that has to be reestablished in every context and uh, is something that can so easily be made complicit uh, with uh, systems of domination that we must be vigilant to its use and uptake uh, while still working to push back against old paradigms of, of care as a, as a maternal or dyadic uh, relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me, Mercer. That was so interesting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was my pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of FabGab. You can find the paper we've discussed linked in this episode's notes along with the transcript. FabGab is hosted by me, Catherine McKay, and produced by Madeline Goldberger. You can find our other episodes on Spotify, Radio Public, Anchor, or wherever else you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks again for listening. Bye.